and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Yeah, I mean, like the the start of LeBron's career was pre-internet in a lot of right. ways, and definitely pre-social media. And and like from the time Zion was sixteen, there has been the social media aspect of it. I mean, I, one of the famous stories is, you know, he had this big game in high school, and he's from this tiny little town in South Carolina. He went to this small private high school there that was not really known for basketball. He had this crazy game, and like Drake followed him on Instagram, right? So, yeah, there's there's always been the the social media component, and like people watching and and nitpicking online uh, of his career. Um, and yeah, the, the, I mean, the interview you talked about the, the food thing. Yeah. That, I mean, I did feel bad for him in that moment. It's like, man, you, you really have dealt with a lot of hate, but at the same time, like, I mean, the consistent word of the last couple of years is like the diet is a huge problem. Yeah. Know? I mean, that's, that's the thing is like, I, I am sensitive to the idea of like, Oh, you know, we're putting too much of an emphasis on his weight, and it's kind of weird to just put this guy in a spotlight. But also, I mean, and you, you kind of hear about this sometimes with Luka Doncic also, that, like, part of the job is to take care of your body and be in shape so that you can play this game that you get paid all this money to play. Like, like there, th- both of those things are kind of at play here. Like, I, you can kind of see both sides of it. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, LeBron is LeBron because he takes better care of his body than almost any professional athlete ever. Right. And I think the switch for Zion went off a little bit last off season, like, you know, missing the entire year with an injury. He thought he would come back for game. Number one was a little bit of a wake up call. Mm -hmm. I mean, he definitely put in work to, to lose some weight. You know, he had, he hired a personal chef. He was, he has a personal trainer and uh, you know, like his weight is always, Kind of, he doesn't like to talk about that, but his personal chef wrote on Instagram before the season that he dropped more than thirty pounds. Uh-huh. Um, so he he lost a lot of weight before the start of the season. I don't. I'll just say I think the switch has gone off a little bit, but I don't think it's gone fully off. Like I think for him to like be Joel Embiid and be a guy who at least plays in like three fourths of the regular season consistently, things are going to have to continue to improve in terms of like training and dieting. That's so wild that Joel Embiid is now what we're talking about aspiring for him to be as far as availability, <laughs> considering what Joel... I mean, Joel Embiid missed his first two full seasons in the NBA with a broken foot, and then he's, you know, pretty consistently had injury issues at different points, and he's and he's now, like, even, like, compared to Zion, he's, like, the paragon of durability that we're now, like, comparing him to. It's, it, that, it's, just, it's just kind of wild how relative all this stuff is. I feel like I'm at the point. I'm just like, please just give me 60 games. Yeah. Give me 60 of the 82 every yeah, year. If Zion could play 60 games. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, that take that you kind of said was like an old take exposed situation that you wrote on earlier in the year. If Zion can play 60 games, I absolutely think the Pelicans can be a contender just because he's that good and they have decent players around him. And it, you know, it seems, I mean, at least it seemed like last year, I don't know if that's kind of the blooms off the rose a little bit. Like Willie Green seems like a good coach. He seems like he's somebody that guys like, and they like playing for. Is that still the case is he still are people still happy with him or is that honeymoon period kind of worn off too 
the, the honeymoon period has, I mean, definitely worn off among the fan base. I've started to get my first fire really green oh, tweets, yeah, which is, uh, yeah, that'll, I mean, that'll, that'll come. That'll be, we yeah. see that a lot here in Portland. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's other stuff at play there too, but like there's, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always really funny how, how quickly people will just, you know, at the first sign of any kind of setback, it's, oh, fire the coach, fire the coach, even though, you know, it's, 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 I mean, Willie Green, clearly, like, he's doing a good job overall. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just say this, like, I think Willie is a, is a great people person and, and, a, and a good motivator. I mean, I think there have been some concerns. Is he getting the most out of this roster offensively the last two months? And I think there, there are some legitimate concerns, you know, as, as far as that issue. I mean, to me, they just have a lot of, um, you know, like, like they have a lot of defensive minded guys around Zion and CJ. And then they have a few offensive minded guys who are not very good defenders. Like they just have a lot of one dimensional role players around CJ, CJ and BI. And like when you remove Zion from the equation, it, it's just really hard. I mean, I, I think they, he could be better offensively in terms of like just getting them to generate the best looks, but overall, like, I think he's good. And and the last thing they need is to make another change at coach. Like they've, they had three different coaches in, yeah. in Zion and BI's uh, first three years. Like guess what they don't need? Like a fourth coach since Zion <laughs> and BI came here, you know? Yeah. Like the whole, you know, they fire Alvin Gentry, who was the previous regime's coach when David Griffin took over. And then, uh, that and that you know, and then the one year Stan Van Gundy experiment was just a complete personality clash, and that was that was just a bad match. That was like a bad uh, gamble there. And then it seemed like they found like the perfect guy in Willie Green. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm totally with you about like at a certain point you need you know the stability. You need to just know that the same guy is going to be there for a while. And it seems like like to me that's more important than whatever you know nitpicky criticisms people might have of some of you know willie green's in-game rotations or his adjustments or his play calling or like at a certain point you just need a little bit of consistency i mean 100 percent. i mean and and willie likes being in new orleans committed i mean like things things definitely don't feel great right now but mm -hmm. I, yeah i mean i don't i don't think they should be making any like wholesale changes in terms of coaching front office or, or anything like that. I mean, I think, you know, if the season ends the way it's going right now, like there's going to be interesting conversations about the roster and like the viability of a Zion BI duo, just because it's been four years and the highest they finished is ninth in the Western conference. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying, I think like move on from Brandon Ingram or anything like that, but like, you're going to, I think you're going to start getting those hard questions of like, ah, do we need to look at like fundamentally reshaping the roster? Well, they kind of did. How seriously were they actually in on OG at the deadline? I mean, I think they wanted him. The price was just insane. I yeah, mean, they that wanted, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, they wanted, you know, Toronto, from what I understand, wanted multiple first-round picks. You know, they wanted yeah. multiple of, yeah. of New Orleans, you know, kind of interesting collection of, of young talent. Yeah. Um, and that was just like, no no way. They're yeah, not Portland that. talked pretty seriously about OG last June at the draft based around the number seven pick before they uh ended up taking shade and sharp and it was like they wanted the number seven pick plus more picks and other stuff and it was like i don't even think portland was in on him this time but like the the just yeah that, that what you're saying about yeah toronto just wanted way too much but but i i guess kind of the point of me asking that is 
is that the kind of thing, whether it's OG or somebody else at that level that would be looked at as like a legitimate game changer for a team that feels like they're maybe one piece away from being an actual contender? Is that kind of what you would expect David Griffin to go into this offseason looking to do? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's a possibility they look at the starting center position. Um, I think Jonas Valanciunas is a good player, but Willie Green has made it pretty clear that, you know, at that center spot with, with the rest of the guys they have on this team, like he wants defensive versatility. Like yeah. Larry Nance Jr. has played a way more fourth quarter minutes this season than, than Jonas Valanciunas at the five. Like that's pretty telling in terms of what Willie values at that position. So I think, you know, they could look to, to offload JV and, you know, maybe get someone more athletic or mobile on the defensive end in there at that spot. Um, and, and just generally, like, the idea of OG was attractive to me, and I think the Pelicans, because it's like, okay, you can move her. Like, you don't have to start her, but you can still kind of get that that defensive ability, but, like, competency in terms of, you know, a guy who can hit some threes at a reliable rate and, and give you a little bit of scoring. Like, they they do need that point of attack defense and they like that defensive versatility and size but they need someone who can like do a little bit more on the offensive end too like i i would throw a lot of stuff for mikhail bridges like i would be trying i think so a lot of people would Mikhail throw bridges. some stuff at mikhail bridges yeah i don't know i don't know how gettable he's now gonna be i feel like brooklyn might feel like they got an all-star back for kevin durant and that might be the next guy they try to build around i know that I can tell you this, Portland, if Mikhail Bridges ever becomes available in Brooklyn, that's somebody that, I mean, Dame trains with Mikhail over the offseason. They have the same trainer, Phil Beckner. Like, that's somebody that I think Portland, I think, I mean, that's really somebody that I think a lot of teams are going to be trying to get if he comes available. But yeah, that's it. That's kind of, yeah, I mean, I think Bridges is like, he's like replace OG as like the guy that everybody wants, except I don't think he's going to be available. I don't know what's going on with OG. You're hearing all these mixed signals of like, uh, you know, Toronto might look to move all their guys. And then, oh, the one move they actually make at the deadline is to bring in a guy and, you know, get back Jakob Pertl. And then, oh, they might try to, you know, move these guys again over the summer, but are the Masai's price is still going to be too high. But I guess more more to, to the point of what I was, was trying to get at there. Like, so you, you the Pelicans, so who's, who's untouchable for the Pelicans besides Zion? Is it just Zion? I mean... Honestly, probably yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it would have to be a obviously really, somebody really good like Brand, Brandon Ingram. Like you, you aren't like looking to move, but that you know, if if you know whoever the next you know Durant level, like whoever that guy is, obviously he would have to be in that. But like, do they still like like where are they at this point on the Zion? And I know they haven't really seen that much of them together because one or both of them has been hurt at different points, but. Where are they? Like in the where's Willie at? Where is the front office at? Like where are people kind of long term on the viability of a Zion Ingram pairing and how well that can actually work together long term? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of like the question they're gonna have to to answer this off season. And I think you know, like you want to see how these last twenty games play out. Um, right. I mean, we don't even know yet if Zion's gonna be back this season. Like maybe you know. He could come back with like five games left and they win the play in again. And like you make the playoffs and, and you feel differently, but you know, like the way it's going, it kind of seems like maybe they'll make the play in and probably lose, or they might not even make the play in at all. Then you have to ask some really hard questions. I and mean, I would, I guess I would just say like the most likely outcome to me feels like run it back with the Zion BICJ trio and get a different starting center in there who makes 
you know, a little more sense defensively. Um, but like, it wouldn't shock me to see, you know, like they look at, well, what could we get for BI? I'll, I'll just say that. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Uh, looking just quickly at the, at the standings in the Western conference, Portland and new Orleans, technically new Orleans is 10th Portland's 11th. They are one percentage point separated. They're basically tied in the standings now 10th versus 11th in the play in versus out of the play in. This is so funny to me because I, you know, there's this, there's this great Twitter account that I've that I've seen in the last last couple of weeks called "It's Not Just Your Team," where every time like a team you know has a bad loss or has like a losing streak, this account will also tweet like, "Oh, these other two teams also had the losing streak." And it feels like everybody in the West is kind of at least in this bottom part of the West. Obviously, you've got Denver at the top, Memphis at the top. Sacramento seems like they're pretty solid. Phoenix just got Durant, and he's going to play tomorrow, supposedly. So those are the four teams that are kind of in, you know, you think are kind of on an upward trajectory. But then you look at everybody else, and it's like Dallas is in sixth right now. They're two games back up on uh, New Orleans and Portland, and they just had this really bad loss to the Lakers where Jason Kidd, you know, comes out afterwards and is like, I'm, you know, I'm not out there playing. I don't know what, you know, I'm not the savior. Like, and then, you know, the Golden State still doesn't have staff. Utah sold off a bunch of guys at the deadline. The Timberwolves have been up and down. Like, the Blazers and the Pelicans are both in, like, similar spots, right? Which is why these three games that they have against each other in the next three weeks or whatever, or four weeks or however, like, over the month of March are going to be so interesting because both of these teams, I think, are in the same spot where they could lose four games in a row and just be like, okay, we're not even going to make the play and let's pull the plug on the season. Or they could go on a little winning streak and end up in sixth or fifth. 